Welcome to the Gottesdienst crowd, where we foster confessional integrity, liturgical preservation, and preaching that doesn't stink. We believe that the historic liturgy of the divine service is more than mere cobwebs of antiquity, but it is a true treasure of the church to be dusted off and brought down from her attic to be enjoyed. So let's get dusting. Welcome back to the Godestine's Crowd. This is Jason Broughton. We have back with us today Dave Peterson. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. We are going through, uh, it's a really long pericope this time, we're going through the gospel reading for the circumcision and naming of Jesus, which is one verse in Luke's gospel, Luke 2, verse 21. I'll go ahead and read that in the English Standard Version. And maybe we can just translate the whole thing here. (laughs) And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. All right. So uh, context. (laughs) You might need to add some context, right? I mean, really? What? Well, I get what? Uh, I don't really think you do need to add context. I mean, everybody knows. Yeah. Well, because you're, you're. You've just gone through all of Luke, pretty much. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this eight days after he was born, right, in Bethlehem, blah, blah, blah. I mean, if you want to add context, the uh, so the, um, the, the lectionary missile project guys have, uh, have a different Old Testament reading, which makes a lot of sense to me. It's the, it's the institution of circumcision from Genesis 17. Instead of the, I think it was numbers in LSB. Yeah, it's number six. So, I mean, this might be, uh, well, I'm going to follow this. I mean, this I think will be nice to read the institution of circumcision. And that's a pretty good contextual help, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And why don't I just read that to you from the New King James? Or you can read it if you want, since you like the ESV so much. Go ahead. (laughs) It's Genesis 17, 3 to... All right, let me get there. I don't know. Uh, I think it nine is the actual. Inst- I gotta, I gotta go to a different place to find what the reference is. So Genesis th- seventeen three to yeah fourteen three to fourteen. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, "Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham." For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, 
Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Verse 14 also. Yes. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay. Yeah, so as the number six, is that the ironic benediction? Is that yeah. the part that's, yeah. So yeah, that would be the, the connection name. there, the name, right? Mm-hmm. But here you have name stuff too, right? Because Abram gets the yes. name. He gets and immediately name. after this, Sarah gets a name, right? She goes from, which isn't as dramatic, but Sarai means like princely and mm-hmm. Sarah means princess. But <clears throat> so, you know, she is the... uh Right from her come the kings of Israel, uh, yeah. in in the right. So the, uh, but Abram right gets the Abraham. So you got the name stuff here too. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I think this is. Uh, I like this quite a bit. Um, I think this will be very helpful to actually to see how to see how uh, Luke twenty one or two twenty one is a direct fulfillment, mm-hmm. right? So you asked a question which I thought was. I've been thinking about before this started um, is this is active or passive obedience. Yeah. And of course my, I, I mean that, you know, my knee jerk reaction is obviously it's active, right? Yeah. Um, because he's fulfilling the law. It's not a punishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a surgery, right? This isn't the wrath of God being visited upon him. It's uh, you know, him being brought into the, into the covenant of grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but uh, so I don't know. I was so. I mean, of course, it happens to him passively, but that's not what the word passive obedience refers no. to. But it um, is the shedding of his blood, right? That's the other. But then you have this, right? I, I still think technically it's active obedience. But but right, there is. I mean, the the circumstances mm-hmm. are because of sin, right? That he has to be brought into the covenant. So I mean, you've got that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But still, I would say so. The 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 only. It's not punishment. It's not. It's not God's wrath being visited upon the circumcised child. But then, right. but is it? I mean, it is, of course. If you but cut, it is it a teaching? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, well. It, here's the other thing. So this is an everlasting covenant, and right. then it stops. <laughs> so someone is cut off hmm. in order to fulfill this. So is not our Lord um, forsaken, cut off? Uh, in even though he fulfills all of this, so I, um, so he takes upon himself uh, not being circumcised, as so he's cut off from his father. Yeah, that's and good. Ends the covenant. I mean, ends this not ends the covenant, but makes establishes a new one. Yeah. So that no longer is circumcision the sign of the covenant, but baptism. Right. I, I mean, this is the sort of, you know, deeper magic of C.S. Lewis, <laughs> yeah. um, right? It, yeah, I mean, it, is. it really is. It is. It's like, oh, here's here's the law. This can never be broken, except here's the gospel. I mean, at, but this is the gospel too. I mean, this is law in the broad sense of the term. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think that's, I, I mean, I this is, I always come in this section, I always come to that kind of deeper magic thing. It, mm-hmm. You know, in the novel, I always felt like that was a bit of a cop out. Um, I just recently came to this idea with the with the chronicles. What, what's the literary term? Uh, Deus ex machina or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the I can't, Deus but, you know, ex the, machina. 
You, yeah. You, you so, like the, you know, that <laughs> you like the Eagles and Tolkien. Yeah, right. Do you know but that I he think, had, he was interviewed about that and he was asked, you know, why didn't you just have the Eagles just drop them off or why didn't you just have the Eagles come uh, right away? And he said, you know, I get this question all the time and, you know, people on the street stop me and I, I'm just going to tell you what I tell them. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good for him. Well, I think, I think in the, uh, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, I came to this conclusion recently. I don't think it's this uh, ex machina thing because actually the main character is Aslan, mm-hmm. right? This is and so this is sort of like in the Bible, you know, in in First Samuel twenty three when they've got the Ziphites betray David and he's surrounded and he's by Saul and he's about to be destroyed and then the Philistines attack and Saul's drawn off, right? Mm-hmm. And well, that's because that's not a violation of the literary principle of not allowing the hero to take action. Mm-hmm. That's that the real hero of First Samuel is God, not David, yeah. right? And I think I think you could make an argument for the Chronicles of Narnia. You know, yeah, Aslan comes in and saves the day. Uh, that's because it's about Aslan, really. Yes. Um, so I, uh, anyway, that so the deeper magic thing, I think. I don't know. It feels a little bit disappointing in the context of the, but I think Lewis is actually onto something. And in terms of it being an allegory, I think it works well. So, yeah. Okay. So, so, so the whole point is that he's just, he's just fulfilling God, his own law. Well, I like your point about he's being cut off. I mean, he's being his being mutilated in some sense, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 bleeding and suffering um in order to fulfill the law. Um you know, he is also he rede- I think I think there's a sense in which he redeems circumcision mm-hmm. or um actually Jesus being circumcised is actually the real institution of circumcision in a sense. Uh, even though there, there's a sense in which all of the circumcisions of the Old Testament are proleptic, mm-hmm. right? They're, I mean, they're meaningless if Jesus isn't circumcised, yeah. much in the way that our baptisms would be meaningless if Jesus wasn't baptized. Yeah. Is there any sense? Uh, so Luke 2 has, you know, at the end of eight days, is that just a way of saying on the eighth day? Yeah. It, so in Greek, it actually says when eight days were fulfilled. Yeah, were completed or fulfilled. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, so in so at the right time. Yeah. They're saying. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, there's that whole eighth day thing, but uh, but yeah, I, th- I think the I think the language of fulfillment is significant. Um, you know, this mm-hmm. is this is coloring the fact that you know that's it's not just I mean the eight days are being fulfilled actually for the last time. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Nobody needs to be ever circumcised again, right? I mean, we we don't. Uh, I mean, we get we have the whole New Testament pounding this into us in, in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. But um, we don't really have to wait till Pentecost to stop being circumcised. They could have stopped circumcising babies, I think, right then. As soon as Jesus is circumcised, circumcision is complete. It's fulfilled. Okay. Right. Uh, would you say the same about the purification according to the law in the temple? Yeah. And what follows? I think everything that I think yeah. everything I mean not they don't really stop obviously but I think there's a sense in which um yeah I think that once he does it it's all it, it, it's over he does it for the last time um in in some sense uh there is this kind of weird grace that 
uh, permeates, however. I mean, I love this in Acts. I can't remember what chapter. Paul, Paul comes back to Jerusalem and offers sacrifices. Mm. And you're like, what? What in the world are you doing offering sacrifices in the temple? Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like inappropriate, right, yeah. to offer a sacrifice at this point. But there, there is this kind of transitional period, and it just happens to be 70 years long, right, that where kind of both things stand side by side uh, because not everyone maybe has heard, right? Mm-hmm. But eventually the temple is taken away. Yeah. And and uh, and and you're not allowed to do it anymore. God yeah. removes it. Well, he circumcises. Um, I think, who does he yeah. circumcise? Titus or? One, one of them. I can't remember Timothy. which one. What, I think one it's Timothy. Yeah, Timothy, I think. So, right, he circumcises them. But I think, right, that's probably the last one. That's part of that transitional period. Mm-hmm. But after that, we're not going to pretend in any way like circumcision is a religious right. Yeah. Um, it isn't anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, in the same way, we're not going to have Seder meals, right? We're not going to pretend like we're celebrating the Passover because that would actually be have completely you, Have you notified the Missouri Synod of this? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we're gonna get some. I'm, I'm sure we're gonna get some emails about this. Well, you know, I really like those. They're, I no way. Not. I don't think so. You don't think so? The four people that listen to this do not celebrate the seder. <laughs> that's my guess. <laughs> but anyway, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, but there is a time when they they do stand side by side, and I think so. Anyway, that's 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 the way I understand it. This is the end of circumcision in a sense, and the beginning of the new covenant. Okay. Um, but you know, but there, but it's not that black and white in some sense because mm-hmm. they go on. So, um, and so he was called Jesus. Um, so why do they translate the name given? What do you mean? What do you mean? Translate the name given, the name given by the angel. Is that what the Nesson Island has? Um, let's see here. I don't know what you're talking. I don't understand what you're saying. The so angel. So he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, but it's the... The word is uh, sulambano, conceit... Wait a minute. No, 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 no. It's Where am I? Toclathan. Oh, it doesn't... It doesn't... Yeah, there's... Oh, I see. It just doesn't say anything. It just says... The thing... The He's called by the name Jesus, uh, called by the angel Yeah. to, uh, to the conception in her belly, right in mm. the belly. Uh, what? Yeah, I don't know. The name given by the angel... I don't know. I've never noticed that. Doesn't seem doesn't seem too problematic to me, but well, I mean it's not. It's just it's like yeah. it's the same word. He was called Jesus. It's the same word. Only they kind of yeah. like translating martireo or Yeah. Yeah. Lack of consistency. I mean, here it could be that we just don't really use the name use the word call in English that way, so it sounds funny. But mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you got all the you got all the Jesus stuff, the Joshua stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Joshua leads us through the through the Jordan on dry land into the Promised Land. Moses is stuck in the desert. Uh, all that stuff. the The epistle is also kind of helpful, yeah. I think. Um, I is can't remember where it was. Galatians, Galatians three. Yeah, I got to I got to move again. To, Isn't it Galatians? It could be three twenty three to twenty nine. So I think that can be also helpful, you know, especially when you're struggling to fill yeah. out a sermon. <laughs> so could, could use now, the Bible. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned yeah. 
until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, that that connects rather, I don't know why it's not the Colossians 2 passage, but, you know, that helps connect circumcision to baptism, right? Um, baptism being, uh, being the ultimate identification and reality that supersedes, in some sense, replaces uh, circumcision. Mm-hmm. And and in that, then, right, uh, replaces in a sense ethnicity, um, vocation, and sex, right? That that all of those things are supersumed into the identity of belonging to Christ. That passage, of course, is greatly misused, <laughs> verse twenty eight. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there you have it. Yeah. And if you're you're Abraham's you're Abraham's true seed, and so forth. So. You also, of course, have Romans 4 and 11 that go through that. And then, obviously, the Colossians 2 thing that ties circumcision more directly to baptism. Um, but there you go. So I, I think so. I, so why do I you usually think, bring up. So, why do you think they have this instead of the Colossians? I don't know if it's because of the uh, Abraham seed, you know, the yeah. connection more directly. I mean, right, Abraham is the. Right. I mean, that's the beginning of the covenant in the most explicit way when, Mm -hmm. you know, right. Abraham, it's funny to to me that it seems like we are more interested in Moses, but the, but the people in the Bible are more interested in Abraham. Like, Mm -hmm. I think we, we tend to to focus on Moses as the author of the Pentateuch, but, um, you know, Genesis is mostly about Abraham Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, the really, this circumcision is, Right, I'd say the only other event that stands parallel, the next event that's going to be that significant is the Exodus itself. Right, so the giving of circumcision is really this identification, you know, how you're marked and set apart from the world to belong to God according to this everlasting covenant of grace. And then the next time there's going to be anything kind of that significant is going to be, you know, when they're delivered from slavery, become a nation, a people. Uh, as a as a partial fulfillment of this promise to Abraham, and then after that, I mean, really, the next thing would be the coronation of David or the anointing of David when they yeah. have a king. Um, I mean, I'd say those are the big three things in the Old Testament, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you were gonna, right? What what are the three main events in the Old Testament? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you could argue it different ways. Obviously, the I mean, there's other significant things, but in the history of Israel. I don't think actually Noah's Ark, right? Noah's Ark doesn't have that much to do with Israel in a sense. It, it predates Job. Predates, it's part of the prehistory. Yeah. So, yeah. so the things that really kind of move the covenant forward in a sense, um, and that you know establish the messianic line and and promise uh, as it mm-hmm. is is revealed over time. I, I think circumcision yeah. is one of the absolute. I mean, you also have the near sacrifice of Isaac that's very important yeah. in the narrative, but it doesn't establish something new. Right. Um, so. Yeah. I, 
Yeah, Abraham is important, but you know, and you don't see the, uh, you don't see a whole lot of referring to Genesis three fifteen either. No, no, it doesn't seem to be that important to them. I mean, not in the way. I mean, that it it's is constantly being referred to in the Psalms. You know, same yeah. with you know, so creation, um, fall, as well as the flood. Those things are all being kind of yeah pondered in the prayers of the Bible, but... But not like the Exodus. I mean, the Exodus is the dominant... <clears throat> it seems to me the Exodus mm-hmm. is the most dominant um, yeah. theme in the Psalms uh, within the Bible, other than creation itself, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if, you, if you talk in terms of like creation in general and redemption in general, yeah. then, then that's, those are the dominant themes. But if you're looking for like events in the history of Israel, uh, I mean, it's the, it's the Exodus that, is, that they're kind yeah. of obsessed with. But then if you look at the kind of preaching of the prophets, I think that's where you get the circumcision stuff. In fact, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if there's a reference in all of the Psalter to circumcision. I don't think so. I, don't, yeah. I bet the word's not used anyway. If there's a reference, it's going to be something like cut off. Uh, or, it's not yeah. going to be a direct, yeah. Or, again, promise to Abraham. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, right. I mean, because those it, two right, are wrapped yeah. up together, the sign of the promise yeah. and the promise. That's fair. Yeah, um, and you, so you do pops have that. Out of my head. Right, mine either. And of course, maybe we just don't know enough, but that's entirely possible. I do think that right, you do get this nice play um, in in the reading of Genesis 17. I don't know why it doesn't start with verse one though, but um, I mean, you do get that uh, you do get that promise of Abraham's going to be this father of the nations, and it's going to be everlasting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's going to have. Um, Right, the land as well in verse eight. So yeah. you don't get a direct name of the Messiah in that particular, in this particular prophecy. Um, I mean, you can read it between the lines a bit, but but you do definitely get the, um, yeah, the 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 whole thing that this is a a, a promise of grace, uh, and he does say that very explicitly. Right, um, let's see here in verse. 10, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every mere child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me, between me and you. Why, that's not what I thought I was going to say. Why, I lost my place. And it, well, know, I guess I mean, all, of those, all of those offsprings or descendants, that, that's all singular. Ah, nice. I mean, it's so... Yeah, uh, th- that, I mean that's that's a, the that's the the Galatians. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean that's of course a corporate that's earlier, and it's not read in the Galatians passage, but that's just before hmm. um, the the pericope in our in the pericope yeah. stated for this. I think Galatians too. 3. I think seventeen. You get you get the you get the messianic thing. We just didn't read it. It's in verse seventeen, right? This is right after immediately. Then you get the Messiah because you get the promise to Sarah. That she's going to be the mother of nations, kings of people shall come for her. Abraham falls on his face and laughs, right? And then you get this really, I think, endearing scene where uh, his response of that he asks about Ishmael, right? That Ishmael might live before you. Um, and then God says, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son. So there's a narrowing of the prophecy down. It's not just a son of Abraham. It's a son of Sarah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but But in the middle of that, right? Uh, you have this kind of concern uh, for Ishmael that's, I, I think it's endearing, and uh, um, it shows a kind of, uh, 
I guess, generosity in Abraham, that, that he has this affection for Ishmael and he's concerned that he would not be cut off even though he's not the Messiah, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, so what do you do with that? I don't know. Ishmael gets circumcised as mm-hmm. well. Well, um, it's hard to have children. They don't always behave. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think you just keep praying for them. And uh, it's all, it's very cliche sounding, but mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're in God's hands and we do well to be re- reminded of that. So what do you, so what, what do you focus on when you're preaching? I usually that? focus, I usually focus on the kind of blood, you know, that Jesus is shedding his blood for us, that this, that uh, fulfilling the law is costly, mm-hmm. right? Um, he doesn't get to just wave it away that he himself is under the law, obeys the law, that the sacrifice meets the legal requirements, um, right? He's not a billionaire that gets to make his own rules, right? I mean, he did make the rules, but <laughs> he then obeys the rules. So I think the legality of, of the atonement is at play here, as well as then the fulfillment of, uh, of this and then the, the greater gift uh, the surpassing gift of baptism compared to circumcision. Mm-hmm. That we should we should thank God that we get the sacrament of of baptism instead of circumcision. There's there's often I think in the in the people of God in in myself included a kind of jealousy of the people who who are whose stories are recorded in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. It must have been nice to be Abraham and have God speak directly to you, to you know, participate in, in miracles, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I can feel a little bit jealous of that at times, and that's really silly, um, especially when I'm sure it, it should be, the, and it is the other way, right? They long to look into these things. Yeah. So to to look to just compare for a second, right, baptism to circumcision, like which would you rather happen to you, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> none of us wants to be circumcised, and uh, that's an unpleasant activity. I think there's, I think inherent in in circumcision is a tie to original sin, right? That this is the way that original sin is passed on through the penis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and well, and I then the promise was tied to that as well, right? The seed. Well, so exactly. Every time you look down, uh, except that the <laughs> seed, except that the seed, right, comes without the aid of a man. Yeah. Uh, so you you get, uh, but but right, but there are other blessings that come through the seed. I mean, the the many nations and so forth. So mm-hmm. right, does come through that, but it has to be cleansed, right? And it has to be put to its proper to its proper purpose. So so there is that that whole thing. That Jesus would endure, I, I, I mean, I mean, it's such a, it's such a, uh, a humble thing yeah. for Jesus to endure this. Uh, so, so is so, um, so is the land promise, the many nations promise. Um, is that also kind of a, a reiteration of the fruitful and multiply that you get at the end of, oh. um, the the end of the the flood narrative and then yeah. at the creation of man or, or is this just a wholly new thing? No, I think you're, I never thought of that before, or I don't remember thinking that for me. It's a good idea. I like it. I think it makes sense that it's part of the restoration of the original order. Yeah. 
that we were created to be fruitful, that Sarah is barren, is you know part of the curse and part uh-huh. of the dryness of the earth and the corruption. And so her womb being opened up and then this incredible abundance being being issuing from her. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a restoration mm-hmm. uh, to the purpose of man and to our place in creation that we're actually, it is given to us to actually fill the earth. Yeah. Which is also, you know, I think really interesting that God doesn't fill the earth with humans. I mean, obviously he does, but not in the six days, but he does, right? He does fill the other stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the birds aren't given a command in the same way. I mean, there's the, the, the earth is filled with birds on the, uh, must be the fifth, um, right? Is it, or is it on the, is it on the, whatever? He fills the oceans. He fills the, right? Uh, yes. He fills, but, uh, but he only makes two people. And so the people are the instruments for, for filling the earth. And that is a unique um, gift and promise that is given to them that then, right, seems to be failing in Sarah. And it seems like the devil is filling the earth with the pagans. Yeah. I mean, he so, still gives the command for them to be fruitful and multiply. He, he does. Yeah. yeah. No, he does. But right. But, but they don't have a single pair. But they're not given dominion. And that's they're not given dominion to man and woman, to, yeah. to man, humanity. Well, yeah. Yeah. And there's not a single uh, line. They're not mm. all family in a mm. way. So okay. yeah, I think I think this and and but then of course you know you get it really uh, interpreted in the Galatians passage too that obviously we are the nations right mm-hmm. and of course I mean our people do struggle with this a little bit because there is there is still sadly you know this remnant of dispensational influence thought in American Christianity that that uh, and some of that's tied up with like the Republican Party remnant? you know. <laughs> <laughs> remnant of a thought? I hope it's just a remnant. You think yeah. it's more than that? Well, I don't no, see... I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I don't see full-blown dispensationalism um, often. Oh, um, it's okay. pretty rare. So that's what I... But but this, but this But the part of dispensationalism I do see or hear is this idea that somehow... God is kind of a racist and he likes ethnic Jews better than other people. And maybe he'll let them into heaven apart from faith, right? So if you're a Jew, you don't have to believe in Jesus. You can go to heaven because you're a Jew. God really likes your people better than everybody else because he cares about race. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is obviously when when you, when you, when you, and, and of course, you know, uh, modern day Judaism is actually ironically the most racist of theologies. Mm -hmm. Um, because they do actually believe. I mean, the teaching of modern day Judaism is that they are God's special people because of their DNA, and God likes them better than everybody else. And you get mm-hmm. to heaven apart from faith, apart from works, even. I mean, I think salvation by works is actually less distasteful than salvation by race. <laughs> I mean, at least there's like, right? I mean, I'm not in favor of it, but. Uh, yes. You know, at least like if you have to work your way into heaven, there's like merit. If it, it's not just, well, you're a scumbag, but you had the right mother, great. We're not letting black people into heaven, but we're going to let Jews into heaven, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty that's pretty uh, offensive. And there is a certain sense in which kind of they get a pass because they have been sub they have been the victims of racism, so they're allowed to act in that way or to teach this. Well, they can teach what yeah. they want. We just ought to recognize it for what it is. And it is, it's it's demonic 
uh, I mean, it's demonic to reject Jesus Christ, and it's extra demonic to reject Jesus Christ in the name of Moses uh, mm-hmm. and Abraham, and to reject the Bible while pretending to love the Bible. I mean, that's right. just like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons are in a kind of similar camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, but anyway, so I do think all that Jews, you know, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Well, it's well. It's funny. I, I think it's in a kind of uh, twist, historical irony. The the Mormons and the and the Jehovah's Witnesses are to us in some way what we are to the Jews. <laughs> like like we claim right. We claim to be the true Jews, right? We're the we're the son. I mean, that's what Paul says. We're the sons of Abraham. We're the true Israel because we have faith in Jesus Christ, yeah, which is what we don't Abraham claim to believed. be. The Jews. We claim no, to be like, the true Israel. We can, well, okay. Well, what do you think? I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, kind of pull the same trick. They're like, "Well, we're the real Christian because yeah. we go by everything you guys have. We just added this book, so which is sort of what it looks like to the Jews. We have done right. Yeah. We've replaced their theology with a new theology while pretending to carry on their theology. So anyway, mm-hmm. but we have to be we have to be clear on this because no one is saved apart from faith. Uh, this is a blasphemous idea. Uh, obviously, it has to be preached with some sensitivity, and you have to be a little bit careful. I have been accused Why? a number. Well, because if you if people think you're being anti-Semitic, which would be offensive, then they're going to quit listening. So if oh. you're too brash in how you present this in a public forum, it, you know you might just yeah. you might just do more damage and and not really any teaching. I mean, I'm saying this from, I've been accused of this quite a few times. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I know. But I mean, so a kid gets kicked out of school once, right? You think, oh, maybe, you know, maybe the school is just hard on the kid. But if every school the kid goes to, he's kicked out of, maybe it's the kid's fault. Yep. I'm saying we should teach on this. So maybe, just maybe, you know, like all the problems (laughs) that they've endured, it's not the nations that they're at that's the problem. Right. Fair. I don't know. Just saying, maybe. Well, it, it needs to be taught. I mean, we have to teach this. It's, it is central that Jesus yes. Christ is the only name under heaven by which men are saved. It is a hard mm. teaching for, I think this is the hardest teaching in our current situation. Mm-hmm. So I don't find tons of resistance to the doctrine of original sin. I don't find ton amongst our own people. I don't, you know, I mean, like some of these, even close communion in a way. But this idea that the only people that go to heaven are those who believe in Jesus. That is a hard teaching in a in a society that pretends it loves tolerance above all else mm-hmm. and is terrified above all else of racism. Right? That's yeah. the sort of that's the one sin that that you can't commit. Which well, I don't want to. It was the it was what separated the people that Jesus preached to in John chapter six. This is a difficult teaching. Yeah, it is. That it is only by, you know, faith and uh, eating and drinking the Son of Man's blood, uh, the bread from heaven, um, they went away. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's yeah. definitely it's got well. I mean, so if it's that central and that troubling, we've got to teach it, right? This isn't. Yeah. This isn't in any way. We've we've got to take it. We've got to take it head on, I think. I mean, I don't know if this is the right time to do it, but at some point it needs to be done and it needs to be done over and over again. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like the point uh, that you get to at the end of Matthew's gospel is that uh, the Jew has to become a Gentile. They have to become one of the nations. 
Yeah. One of I the Gentas. I think there's, yeah. Yeah. It, they they're not themselves. special anymore. Right. <laughs> they were right. special because of Jesus. Yeah. And so. I think there's a kind of humiliation that they have to, in, well, you, that you have to be humbled to become a Christian. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and so part of that humility is to leave behind your ethnic identity. And I, I don't, I, I mean, don't think you have that, to leave it behind. Well, I think, you, I, I mean, look, St. John sees them all in heaven. Sure. And rejoices at them. So I don't think it's something you have to leave behind. It has to be no longer primary. There you go. Yeah. Right. It, we still, we, you know, they're my yeah. people. I love my dad, not because he's super awesome. I mean, he's a good guy, but because he's my dad. Right. Right. I love my nation or my state, even though it's Illinois, because it's my <laughs> state, not because it's awesome. Yeah, but unless a man leaves father and mother, I mean, so uh, right there, it has to be within. But he's the, going to turn our hearts to father and mother. But he's also going to turn our hearts to right. Yeah. Well, he's so, also going. He's also going to replace father and mother if need be. Yeah, he sets the solitary in a home. In the family. So I mean, you you have you have all of those things kind of in balance. But there is a kind of there is a kind of humiliation that 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 does come from no longer identifying, you know, in the first place by your nation, by your works, by your, right? And submitting to something as like circumcision or baptism. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is a humiliation in baptism as well. It's, it's nicer, uh, you know, because there's no blood involved. Uh, but uh, I always like it when the babies cry during baptisms for that reason. But because, you know, this, this thing of that they're actually being cut off, um, from the devil, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a pain and there's a dying. And, yeah. you know, that th this isn't just a ceremony, you know, this is actually real. So yeah. I like it when the ceremony matches and they cry because they're losing something. I mean, what yeah. they're losing is terrible, but, you know, the, the loss of it still hurts. And so, um, so maybe this is, you know, maybe this is an avenue for preaching. Uh, uh, maybe you just compare and contrast baptism and circumcision, but do so in a way that actually baptism seems more harsh yeah. and more fulfilling. And, and I mean, not fulfilling, but um, it's more, generous. more difficult. Oh, more, yeah. It's more difficult. Yeah. I think it is more difficult. It is more difficult. I mean, um, it's a crucifixion with Jesus. Right, right. It's the drowning of the old Adam. It is the beginning of a constant fight right. daily. Right. Um, and, and well, this is the fight that our Lord engaged in, isn't it? Yeah. When he was circumcised, and then actually particularly when he was baptized, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted right. by the devil. So maybe there's maybe there's an avenue there. Well, it's I mean, baptism also is you know more inclusive. So mm -hmm. I mean, the other side of it is right. I mean, girls get to be baptized and Gentiles, mm -hmm. um, which I mean, in a way, it could be, a, yeah, well, maybe you get to be, and this would go with your point earlier, you, you get to be, you're a Gentile, you get to be baptized, and you don't have to become a Jew. So you could have got circumcised in the Old Testament, like, you know, yeah. um, uh, but, then, but then you belong to the house, right? Then you take on their customs, you take on all of their, their sorts of things. So, mm -hmm. but circumcision, you can be a girl and get baptized, which you can't. In the, I mean, and get baptized, you can't be circumcised as a girl. 
And if you were circumcised as a boy, you lost your nation. Mm-hmm. So, so I, of- I mean, it seems to me that what happens is that, um, you know, the way that you would think that salt uh, as, as kind of um, as a spice, you know, how powerful it is, you would think that whatever you put it on would overpower it. Um, but, but we know that the exact opposite happens. When you put salt on something, it actually brings out the inherent flavors and the things that you put it on. And I mean, because it's a flavor enhancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the same way, when we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we don't become like... Um, Less ourselves. Le- we become more. Right. It's, you know, it's Spinal Tap's one higher. <laughs> <laughs> that comes up almost every episode with you. This is the last two, man. Uh, but, uh, but, but my point is that so often when we hear about becoming Christians, like we have to leave all this stuff behind, and there is a putting to death of that which is contrary to God, but the rest of it gets salt. Right, the rest yeah. of it comes out more full right. and a better flavor, like the better version of ourselves, the better the better angels of our nature, as you know, someone from the land of Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the I think uh, you know the problem is is that that that's a lot of where the battle kind of takes place in our minds between the two natures. Uh, you know, the old the devil has all the good tunes. Mm. Um, you know, there is this this false misplaced desire for what for what the devil offers um and for the so we we you know and this sort of idea of best of both worlds right so i can enjoy my sins and be forgiven Uh, there's no there's no way to enjoy your sins your sins aren't enjoyable um (laughs) i mean we right we we we're deluded when we think that They, they it never pans out you know our experience even if we didn't have the bible you'd think our experience would tell us that getting drunk isn't actually fun, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it weirdly seems like it's gonna be fun, you know, in kind of the in kind of the thick of it, and it sort of seems like, wow, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, it make me feel better more. Uh, but right, I mean, how many times do I have to be hungover and not learn the lesson, or be ashamed <laughs> in the morning and not learn the lesson? And and but but there's this like constant celebration in the culture, pretending as though being drunk is fun. Well, yeah. I mean, have any of these people been drunk? It's not really fun. Yeah. Um, it's not actually enjoyable. And, yeah, because and he I, doesn't actually have the best tunes. Right. That's what I mean. So that's yeah. this is but, a I mean, lie. My point: he doesn't have it. He has no stories of his own. He he's yeah. not creative. He only right. parodies and apes and distorts and misshapes and cheapens cheapens yeah. real pleasure and real joy. And so, but, but the, so that's where I was going with your salty thing, right? We, the, the salt comes, the salt kills that other stuff and Mm -hmm. we don't really quite want to give it up. And we have a hard time believing that the real me is the me that doesn't like rock music. Mm -hmm. Um, We, we tend to actually identify and even to, I mean, to tell other, like, you know, we tend to identify with actually our baser desires more than with our piety. Mm. You know, so if, if you ask someone what his hobbies are, right, he doesn't say, I love reading the Bible very often, right? 
he's going to say, I love rock music. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I love bourbon or I love, and not that there can't be any place at all necessarily for any of this. I, I, I mean, I mean, it's again, sort of situational, but, but I think, why do I identify, why do I identify with the baser desires and think that's what makes me who I really am instead of, you know, mm-hmm. identifying with the, well, we want to sit at the cool kids table. Yeah, exactly. So so I think you're right. What baptism is actually trying is doing to us, is, like you say, it's making us more ourselves. But our ourselves are, aren't that attractive to the old man, and ourselves mm. are certainly not attractive to the world. And so when we present ourselves to yeah. the world, hey, look, we're cool. We like rock music, also, yeah. right? We're not. We're not stuck. We don't take ourselves too seriously. God forbid. That would be the most offensive thing in the world that we couldn't laugh at ourselves. Um, you know, I, I mean, this is, this is like, people are obsessed with this. They're terrified of looking stuffy or look, I mean, in the church, we see this all the time. Yeah. Why, why do pastors, I mean, why do they act so casual when they conduct service? Do they not know they're in the presence of God? They're very concerned on for, I mean, we all are, but they're concerned about the presence of the people and what the people are thinking of them. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's very much a temptation to show, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a cool kid. I like the things you like. I know about baseball. I know about rock music. I know about Harry Potter or whatever. I right? Yes. That, I think that's, that's a debasing of our true selves and um, mm-hmm. a fear to follow our calling and to live yeah. according to it. So in what sense, so in what sense can we be, actually discuss now, you know, the, the difference between being cut off and set apart. Oh, um, so, so circumcision definitely sets apart by cutting something off versus yeah. being totally cut off. Um, so, so how does Jesus's fulfillment of this and the institution of baptism, how does this, how does this continue how should we understand our being set apart and not being cut off um, and live within the life of being set apart? Yeah. I, I wonder if we could talk about Jesus being actually cut off completely, right? He's cut off from everything. Yeah. Because he's he's cut off from the Father um, mm-hmm. in being forsaken, but he also, because he is holy, he doesn't find any camaraderie yeah. <laughs> with, with Satan. Mm-hmm. Um so he actually, we're not, right? We're, we're cut off from Satan, and maybe, maybe we mourn for that wrongfully, but we're set apart for God, right? We belong to him. Mm-hmm. So we're not being cut off without purpose, and we're not being cut off from what's actually good, though it might be very unpleasant. Yeah. And, we might not know, and we might not know actually what's good. That's another big problem we have, right? We we assume that we know what's good, mm-hmm. what will satisfy us, what will right, what will be useful, that that sort of stuff. Um, so, right, we are definitely baptism is a cutting off from the world, and that's going to have on this side of glory ongoing consequences and pain mm-hmm. um, because because it, the world is hostile to us, and we want to be liked. And we are hostile to ourselves and we want to have pleasure. So, I mean, those sorts of things, the ongoing struggle. But at the same time, we are set into the family. Uh, We are set uh, within God's grace. We belong to him. And we do have the peace that passes all understanding. Mm -hmm. 
which, you know, I, I wonder if this is something we don't talk about enough. I was thinking about this recently, <clears throat> this, you know, the, so we're, we're kind of, we don't like to talk about Lutherans don't like to talk about their experience because we want to just go by the Bible, right? We can't trust our experiences. And that's fair to some degree. I mean, it's fair if we're talking about doctrine and if we're talking about what is certain, we need to go by the Bible. At the same time, our experiences uh, can be misunderstood and, 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 and misapplied, but they're not invalid. So there is the reality that we have like, you know, John Wesley had this strange warming of our hearts in response to the gospel. And we, you know, we, we should embrace that. You know, what is the peace that passes all understanding? Is it merely an objective thing? Um, or is there also an experience of that at an emotional uh, and even intellectual level yeah. that we actually find a comfort for our conscience in our minds that we can be aware of and that we are allowed to find pleasant and to even foster to some degree. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, how does, how, I, I think on top of that, how does Luke then describe what happens after his circumcision and the purification of Mary, that he grows in wisdom and stature? I mean, that's almost the very next thing. And Jesus grows in wisdom and stature. Uh, so is there a sense in which you you receive that kind of peace that you're talking about by actually being filled with wisdom so that you sure, can yeah. so that you're not drawn to what seems like life but is actually death from the things that you've been cut off from, but actually pursue the things that actually give life? Yeah, I mean, is it why are we so afraid of enjoying wisdom or enjoying any <laughs> virtue? Right. right. It's like, you know, I mean, it, if if uh, if you come back from Holy Communion and you're filled with joy, you shouldn't be ashamed of that. I mean, even if you know you can't help yourself from smiling, you know, uh, you know, just because you're in the Midwest, you're allowed to smile after Communion. Nobody will think you're a her- well. Somebody might, but. I won't, right? It's it's not inappropriate to respond emotionally to what God gives. It is part of who we are. It would be wrong to insist upon people smiling, right? It would mm-hmm. be wrong to say, well, if you don't smile, you don't really believe, you don't, you know, you don't understand, you've been forgiven. I mean, so our emotional response can vary based on even other circumstances mm-hmm. other than just what's happening in the service. But, you know, I think you know, we, we can rejoice in wisdom. We can rejoice in courage. We can't, that virtue is its own reward and, and that there's a goodness in it that we participate in and we, we recognize we don't have to be, you know, this kind of constant existential crisis and terror, you know, that, well, how do I know if this was real or not? What it's, it's real, just right. That we have, God gives spiritual mountaintop experiences that should not be denigrated or whatever denied. In yeah. fact, I think to some degree they ought to be sought. Not that we, not that we base our confidence in them, but at the same time, you know, if the Christmas Eve service is beautiful and it moved you to to tears and to feelings of joy and happiness and so forth. I mean, that's good, but uh, don't be ashamed, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, to some degree, I, I mean, as the as the pastor, uh, I want that for myself, but I also want that for the people that attend, right? 
I'm glad yeah. that they enjoyed it. I'm glad that they felt a sense of contentment and peace uh, contemplating the incarnation and the death and resurrection of Jesus. And yeah, so I don't know how we got on that, but... Well, I mean, it, just enjoying... Oh, uh, virtue and it, who we really yeah. are, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think too, though, I mean, on top of that is we tend to think just in, in static terms... Uh, and what I mean by that is, well, you know, you know, Jesus accomplished this, and so I'm in this camp, and so everything's okay, and it just stays, just kind of bland and static. Instead oh, yeah, of good point, he's actually given us a new life, and that is something that is lived and worked at and lived out, so that and change, yeah, that so that there is yeah. growth yeah. and and change and movement. It's not just like yeah. we're um, when we are set apart. We're not just sitting there. We're set apart for or to yeah. or from. Well, um, and all the biblical metaphors of movement, right? Yeah, being on a path and walking. And that, in fact, in that Abraham passage, the, the verse before we read that he walks blameless, right? Mm-hmm. Or he falls on his face. Yeah. So there's movement, embodiment, and change over time and growth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, I look back at my own, my own ministry, my own preaching, and it's changed so much. Uh, and, you know, I, I wonder, you know, how much has my theology changed? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I've, I've, I've never stopped subscribing to the Book of Concord. Um, but the emphasis and, and different things have definitely changed, and my understanding of things have definitely grown, and my preaching today is not what it was 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would hope that there would be a correspondence of orthodoxy in both of them, <laughs> right? right. That, that both of them are, are you know, faithful and true to the Book of Concord and, and so forth. At the same time, I would be pretty ashamed of myself. I mean, I think... So I guess I guess I'm saying proud of myself, which maybe I don't want to say, but I think there I think there's growth. I think there is change. I think theology, you know, does develop as we learn. Luther in the, you know, in the yeah. large catechism talks about you know learning and retaining, and he expects growth over time. He says if you haven't if if you don't have any more knowledge at the end of the year than you did at the beginning, you've broken the third commandment, mm-hmm. right? So Luther totally expects, rightly, that there will be growth and change, that our understanding will deepen and become more nuanced, mm-hmm. You know that what we knew when we were in seventh and eighth grade confirmation class is different now. Yeah. It may be that the content's not different, but the expression of it, the understanding of how things relate together, the kind of nuances, mm-hmm. um, and some of that too, of course, a lot of that actually I think is environmental hmm. that we have to respond to the to the issues and the pressure of our particular society and culture, mm-hmm. um, and things that maybe could have been taken for granted eighty years ago, like where to put your penis, you know, <laughs> can't be assumed anymore. You mean I mean, like we just we're living boys are boys insanity. and girls are girls. Yeah, yeah. So, but also even things like I'm sorry that was so graphic. I the um, but also things. Just like how to be a husband, how yeah. to be a father, that people, we are lacking relationship skills that mm-hmm. I think probably people did have without as much effort. Yeah. Well, I mean, how can you ago. expect people to have 
develop this when we've been preaching a variation of God hates you, God loves you, and Jesus, here are the sacraments for the past right. 25, 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so do you actually see that growth? So if you if Luther expect, expects growth from the the parishioner in God's word, uh, how are you doing that in your preaching? How are you how are you giving them that growth in what you're teaching them? Making those connections, helping yeah, them along. Well, I have become very explicit yeah. in in two ways. I would say I so I am like I am really serious about having a thesis statement uh, from the text or, you know, a textual application that, that I want them to be able to repeat back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so to try to actually preach in a way, in such a way that it will be retainable. Mm-hmm. I'm not just up there spouting spiritual truths, theological stuff, mm-hmm. but, but I have an actual very clear intent of what I want to communicate, what I want them to know at the end, right? Whether that's something like as simple as, you know, blessed is the one who's not offended because of Jesus. He is offensive. Blessed are you who aren't offended by him. Right. Yeah. And I mean, or, or whatever. So it's not like it's, it's not like it's completely novel stuff, right? Again, we're just really in some sense, always reminding them, but we need reminders. And then the other thing is I have gotten very kind of explicit in, in making attempts to give concrete examples and advice about how to actually live out their life and do their faith. Yeah. So even just th- just things like, you know, saying in a sermon, you know, something like, you know, I, I think you should uh, consider having a crucifix in every room in your house so that there's no place you can go where you don't have a visual reminder that you belong to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or saying things like, you know, uh, I don't, you know, you need to read the Bible every day. And in order to do that, you have to actually, you should probably have a schedule and a commitment so that you do it at the same time and in the same place every day, like Mm -hmm. at the breakfast table or at the dinner table or before you go to bed. Don't just say, I'm going to do it and then wait for it to happen. So, you know, that kind, that level of advice, I don't, I didn't give that kind of stuff too much in the past. I do a lot more of it now. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing would be there's doctrines. a limit to some of that too because you're speaking to so many different people. Yeah, it's, you have it's to like, qualify it. Yeah, it's like when when you're when you're making a definition, um, you don't want to be too broad that includes things you don't want included, but too specific that it's excluding things you want to include. Right, but if I just say read the Bible every day, yeah. the problem is like, okay, good, I'm going to read the Bible every day. Yeah. but they need more. I think they need more than that. Yeah, I they think do. they need to be. They, they need to be told, you know, about the scheduling stuff. Yeah. And, you know, so yeah, I don't want to be yeah. legalistic or dogmatic about it, but you know what? They should be reading the Bible every day. That's yeah. true. Yeah. They um, should be having some meals together. They should be having, yeah, you know, all, all kinds of, of stuff. things. Um, you know, one of the big complaints is, you know, we just, we're never home. And I'm like, oh, that's a problem. But when you are home, you're not even there. Like you're just yeah. looking at a screen. So, well, and men, yeah. So you so start start where you can and then yeah. And maybe think about why you're never at home. Where yeah. are you? Yeah, where? I mean, are you are you are you actually working that many hours? Um if so, then you need to think that over. If you're not, where are you spending your evenings? Yeah. Right? Spending mm-hmm. your week. You know, so I mean, yeah, we've got to we got to give people need this. Yeah. Um it's just and I we're called to give it to them. They have the right to it. Mm-hmm. They ex- 
us to give to open up the Bible and apply it to them, yeah, and to give them biblical insight and wisdom for how to live their lives. That's that's not an impious desire. That's not legalism. That's not trying to earn their own salvation. That's them looking to the pastor to give to be a, a zalesorger, right? Yeah. To actually give them counsel. Um, they're going to make their own decisions. You're not you're not dictating exactly everything to them, but they rightly understand that the Bible ought to be guiding them in their daily lives. Yeah. It's being a father. Yeah. It, it, you can't just say, Jesus loves you, figure it out. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. I mean, it's just not, it's not historic. Nobody ever did that in the history of the church. And it's, and it's not reasonable. If that's the case, then what is the point of the pastor? Yeah. They could just, you could just tell them that one time, Jesus loves you, figure it out, and then leave. Mm-hmm. Um, anything that you had on your list that we didn't get to? I didn't even have a list. I'm to my shame. I had down written eight days, name Jesus, circumcision. <laughs> I think we Genesis got to those. <laughs> I think just by I think just by reading the text, we got to those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it is a it is a bit sparse compared to what we're used to. So yeah. Well, I mean, we still happen to go over an hour. So hey, there you go. They get their money's worth. Yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> well, speaking of money, if you want to support us, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Very good. I'm not. We, we could use support. So Patreon. Yeah. Patreon.com forward slash Godestines. All right. Great. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Jason. 